Amen. Thank you very, very much. Uh, sad to hear that Dre is sick, by the way. So, <laughs> and, uh, heart goes out to you. Uh, I know what it's like for Carol, my wife, to have a sick man in the house. Uh, I think Dre's actually a lot tougher than me, so he'll be weathering the storm well. Uh, I, I passed through, Carol and I, Pastor City Church in, uh, in Christchurch on Manchester Street. A number of the guys actually were there over the course of this weekend for Stronger Conference. Anyone in the room this week? You've made it? Great. Uh, we had a great time, by the way. That was really cool, uh, hanging out together. It's, you know, it's a privilege any time that I get an opportunity to come and speak to a, a, I don't know, a gathering of worshippers other than our own church. So it's a privilege to be here today. Um, I've left uh, Carol at, uh, at home to deal with uh, all the stuff that's going on there. We've got two kids, by the way, uh, Eden, our daughter, who is 17, uh, and is currently trying to figure out how to get her driver's license, so that's a fun task for me to be involved in. Uh, I, I did get her to back out of the driveway, uh, this was actually a couple of months ago, and she was a bit hesitant, so I was, it was an automatic, I'm like, how can you get this wrong? I, I'm like, no, no, just a little more accelerator, just a little, a little more accelerator, you need to put your foot on the accelerator, as the car was full lock coming towards the curb, and she went, Rah! <laughs> the car launched up onto the curb and towards our neighbor's newly built fence, at which point I screamed, brake, brake! Uh, and she did, so that was good. I also used the handbrake, so that was quite ha handy. And she hasn't uh, been back in the car since, so uh, we're just trying to work that out. Um, my, my son, who's 13, has just finished uh, rugby for the season, so we have to find something else to do on Saturday mornings. Uh, but I'm looking forward to all of that. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, obviously Dre connected with me last night and I thought oh man great I, no problem we've got guest ministry at our church this morning so all of that is well catered for and I was just left wrestling with the idea of well what should I do and what message should I, I bring and there's, there was something that I'd been presently trying to put together which I thought oh, man that'd be a great filler right a, a light-hearted message with some practical application at the end of it but I just I I took it to the Lord in prayer, and he's going, no, not that one. Bring your, bring your heart message. All right, so I, I don't, it's interesting, because I don't really know how deep this is going to get this morning. Normally, I would want to build great relational equity with the house before bringing a message like this, so hopefully you can bear it with me. Um, so in that sense this morning, instead of launching straight into the message, um, I'm going to tell a few jokes first, so at least there's some humor in the room. I, uh, and they're not good jokes, so I hope don't build the expectation up too high. Uh, but well, I said to my son the other day, uh, as his bike was lying in the middle of the lawn, I said, why is your bike not standing up by itself, son? <laughs> he says, I don't know, Dad. I said, yeah, it's because it's too tired. Uh, <laughs> what, about, what about this one? Uh, I heard this the other day. Uh, there was a midget clairvoyant that had escaped from prison. So the bulletin went out uh, as a small medium at large. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, else, what else have we got? Uh, my wife was talking to me the other day, actually, and she was saying, <laughs> stop now, uh, she was saying, have you not been listening to anything that I've said? At which point I responded with, oh, that's a strange way to start a conversation. 
See, she also finds it really, really weird uh, that I stare so intensely at the windows when it's raining heavily. I kind of think it would be a whole lot less weird if she would just let me inside. So, <laughs> there we go. Hey, I, I want to bring a message this morning that is uh, based on what I think is the main message. In fact, scholars would say this as well, and theologians, the main message that Jesus preached in all of his earthly ministry, and that's the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, dependent on which gospel you're reading through and what audience they're writing to, whether it's the Jews or the Gentiles. It just, it's the same thing. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is exactly the same Thing. But it is the main message that Jesus preached in all of his earthly ministry. I think if you were to count all the mentions that Jesus is, Jesus, Jesus is, there's only one Jesus that uh, we worship, so not the Jesus is, just the Jesus. Uh, all of the times that Jesus mentions uh, the kingdom of God throughout the Gospels, I think there's about 86 different times that he mentions that. And to give that some context this morning, he, he, he mentions the kingdom 86 times but he only talks specifically about the church twice. So you weigh that up and you go, well, what does that, what does that mean? Does that mean that if he only talked about the church twice, did he not really care about the church? No, that's one way of looking at it, but I think it's wrong. I would say that in that essence, maybe what he said about the church was of such high importance that it's worth paying greater attention to. But his main message was still about the kingdom of God. Um, it's the thing that he announced and demonstrated, he, it, it, the message of the gospel of the kingdom through both his words and his actions. It wasn't just something that he spoke about. Everywhere he went, he was demonstrating what the kingdom of God was all about and what it looked like, what it felt like, what it, what it was like to be somewhere where the kingdom was, was, I don't know, being clarified in a sense. I've got a bunch of scriptures. I wonder if uh, we could throw those up this morning. Uh, and, oh, great, they're in front of me. That's really, really cool. Uh, at our church, they're way on the back wall, and I can't actually read them. So uh, this is much, much more helpful. Uh, and there is, this, this is quite a scripturally uh, heavy kind of message, and I can't really apologize for that, because if scripture wasn't important, God wouldn't have had us uh, write it down. So uh, here we go. But this, this, this will just give us some helpful framework or help contextualize the idea of the kingdom of God this morning. And this, again, is, it's, it's not an exhaustive list of all the mentions of the kingdom, so we're not going to go through 86 different ones, but it is a helpful insight into some of the things that Jesus said about it. So obviously we've got here in Mark 1, 14 to 15, it says, now after John, or after John the Baptist was in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, in Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and hearing and healing all kinds, hearing all kinds of sickness. That's what's going on in your house at the moment. You're hearing all kinds of sickness. But Jesus went about healing all kinds of sickness uh, and every disease uh, amongst the people. Matthew 9.35 is, is essentially exactly the same. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. Right? 
Paul later on in the, gospel, in, in the, in the New Testament writings in the book of uh, Romans uh, in, in chapter 15 says, says it this way, you know, in the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, from Jerusalem all the way around to a place called Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ or the gospel of the kingdom. And all in one moment, it inspires me to read that. It frightens me to read it. It causes me to have some degree of trepidation about my own walk of faith because we see clearly an evidence in Scripture through the life of Jesus and his followers thereafter. The full proclamation of the gospel of God has signs and wonders and, and the power of the Spirit accompanying it. Oh my gosh, how do, I, how do we measure up to that? Where do we see that in operation in our own lives? It's just, I don't know, that's something I think about when I read this kind of stuff. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven. This is when he sends his disciples out. You go now, right? You, us, you and I. You go and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what are you supposed to do? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Okay, thanks. Matthew, 10, uh, Matthew 13, 10 and 11, disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them, to, to people in parables? Why are you always telling these parables, these, giving these illustrations about the kingdom? He answered them and says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And it's not, you know, it sounds kind of cryptic, right? It's been given to you to know the mysteries, 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 mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It was not a mystery, because we know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's things like oh, how we treat other people. What's one, of the, what's one of the greatest mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Oh, love God and love people. It's a great place to start if you want to explore what the kingdom of heaven is really like. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Even, and then the end will come. Uh, look, here's a whole lot of scripture. Luke 40, we won't read the whole lot, but again, it's Jesus talk, is, is healing various kinds of disease and everyone who's brought to him, he lays his hands on them. And when they, when they, when they try and compel him to stay, Man, we're, we're so taken, we're so enthralled, we're so blessed by your ministry, by the fact that you're healing people and preaching and, and teaching, and we're, we're, we're invested in this. We're getting a lot out of it, so don't go anywhere else. We want to continue to hear more. We want more of this in operation in our world, right? Please stay, Jesus, please stay. And what does he say at the end? But I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose, I've been sent. Now it came to pass, Luke 8, 1, afterward that he went through every city and every village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with it. And on it goes. We won't go any more into that. It goes on into the other New Testament writings where Paul, through the book of Acts, is, is, is saying, I'm, essentially, I'm preaching the same message. Right? I'm preaching, at the, at the, in fact, at the end of the book of Acts, the last chapter, he, 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 he kind of closes it out by saying, come on, I... And I've been preaching the kingdom. I've been preaching the kingdom of my God to anyone who would receive it and to all who have come to see me. 
There's something about this that is so integral to our life of faith, to understand something of the message of the heart, the, the reality of what the kingdom of God is. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we want to understand that we're not talking about some kind of physical location. Right? It's, it's not some destination that, that, that scientists and physicists have got together and finally figured out, oh, where is the kingdom of heaven, right? Like, well, if you go to Jupiter and travel three suns out past the Milky Way, there it is, oh, hallelujah, we found that. Yay! <laughs> right, like, it's, it's not that at all. It's not some destination that the people who have said the sinner's prayer get to go when they die. And yes, I, amen, it is part of that. But that's not the, the sum total of it. Jesus, coming towards the end of the Gospel of John, as he's betrayed by Judas and arrested and brought before the religious leaders of the day. He's accused of blasphemy and all kinds of, like, man, all they want to do is put him on trial and sentence him to death because of the things that he's been saying about the kingdom of God and the things that he's been revealing around what that king is really like. And they're so incensed and enraged and offended by the kingdom that he presents and the idea of a king that he portrays. They call it blasphemy and look for an opportunity to sentence him to death. When they bring him before Pilate, the, the Roman governor, he asks him directly the question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response to that is to say, well, is that your own question, Pilate, or have other people been talking to you about me? Because my kingdom, John 18 and verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, he says, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So again, he's, he's, he's pointing to this idea or this reality that, 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 that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not about some cryptic location or even an otherworldly dimension. Jesus is talking about the reality that his, 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 or his response in this moment, my kingdom is not of this world, was to point out that his, his, his reign, his, his authority, it doesn't originate from an earthly source, right? He, he, he didn't come to try and establish a new political party or a new religious order or, or even just an earthly kingdom. He came to reestablish his kingdom authority and, and, and over all of the earth. I, I, funnily, I got a call last week from a friend that I haven't heard from for a wee while inviting me to become the representative of a new political party in Christchurch. 
Uh, it's around the, I don't know, it's around New Zealand. I've, I've never heard of this political party before. I've never entertained the idea of entering into politics. I don't think that it's the answer to all the world's problems, although, yes, voting and politics is important and it plays a role in our world. But I'm like, dude, why are you asking me that question? Right? Like, number one, I'm the most politically illiterate person that I know. Right? Like, yes, I do vote and I try and follow some of that stuff, but I don't have my head around all that. I, don't follow me up in a couple of weeks like you're saying you're going to do. I'm not going to read all the information. Your party isn't even an actual party right now. So anyway, uh, I don't know if you'll ever listen to this recording. I've talked to him about all of that kind of stuff. I just thought it was fascinating. So Jesus is here to reestablish his kingly authority in the earth. Pilate's asked him if he's the king. In the following chapter of, of John... 19, after Jesus has been led away and they've forced the crown of thorns onto his head, they've dressed him in the purple robe, they've, they've spat on him, they've mocked him, they've beaten him, they've pulled chunks of hair from his face with their hands, they've blindfolded him and hit him and said, prophesy to us, the Roman soldiers said, prophesy to us, which one of us has struck you? Pilate has him led out again before all of the people who are gathered there and the religious leaders. He says, here is your king. This bleeding, this, this, this broken, this defeated looking individual. Here's the representation of what your king looks like. He asked those who are gathered. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? The Jewish leader's response in a loud voice was to call out, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Crucify him. They incite the crowd to begin to call out. Crucify him. And they're using this political and this religious pressure to force Pilate into the passing sentence of crucifixion upon Jesus, which he does. statement they make. We have no king but Caesar. We don't recognize this man as our king. We don't accept this Jesus as a ruler over us. We allow this broken, defeated looking human no authority over our lives despite what it is that he's been talking about the whole time that he's been ministering in the earth and what he's been revealing to us about the heart of the Father and what his kingdom is really like. Crucify him. So I told jokes, right? <laughs> I think we've had a misperception sometimes of what took place 
at Calvary. In the sense that the, the idea of it was that Jesus went to the cross to appease the anger or the wrath of, a, of an angry God. I think if you just read the story and allow the text to speak for itself, the more appealing and the more confronting story that we read is that Jesus didn't go to the cross to appease the wrath of an angry father who, who said that he must punish his son before he can bring salvation to the earth. Jesus went to the cross to appease the wrath of an angry humanity. We have no king but Caesar. We do not recognize your, your right to rule over us. We reject you as our king. And even in the face of humanity's rejection, Jesus' response was, well, if this is what it takes to have relationship with you, I'll do it anyway. No earthly king. I love what Nathaniel, who was sharing communion, I love what you said. I've read something of Napoleon's kind of commentary on Jesus before, and I'm being reminded hearing that again this morning and it's so very very true Jesus is not a king like any earthly king or any earthly ruler that we've seen since the beginning of time through to now no other king no other ruler no other monarch has represented their kingly authority with such humility and grace is to say, if I'll give my life for yours. In the same way. What we see on the cross, I think, is not the wrath of an angry God poured out upon his son. But it is grace. It's forgiveness. It's in the words of Jesus. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. It's mercy and it's kindness poured out in an everlasting measure throughout all of time. And it's this king and his kingdom, which is unlike anything that can be represented in all of the earth. There was, there was some other stuff I wanted to say this morning, but I, I, I think I'll go... To a different place. In the book of Revelations, in chapter 5, there's this fascinating, and I think deep and moving insight that we get where John, he's caught up in the spirit, he's having this vision as he does throughout the book of Revelation. He says in chapter 5 and verse 1, then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one 
in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. John says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. For see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So here's John in this moment of being caught up in the, in the spirit and having this, this unfolding vision before his eyes. Man, there's this stuff that's written down that, that I, who's going to open it? Who's going to read this stuff out for everyone needs to hear it? But there's no one who's been found worthy on or in or even under the earth. But one of the elders around the throne says, well, what about the lion of the tribe of, of Judah? John, I, I just imagine him like this. Oh, yeah, of course. I, for, I forgot. I forgot about the lion of the tribe of Judah. I forgot about Jesus. Right? And he's got this imagery of a lion with great authority, with a voice that comes out like a roar, a thundering sound. Like, man, who could forget about him? Of course he's worthy. But then John looks, hearing the lion, expecting to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, then I looked and I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. John, who's hoping to see a lion, turns and he sees the slain lamb, the representation of the king of the universe, with all of his authority, holding all dominion. Is not a, the, that, I mean, yes, he's the roaring lion. Amen. I, I love that. And we, we sing songs about it, right? Like one of my favorite songs recently is the song Lion by, I think it's the Elevation Band. I want to hear the lion roar, roar. I'm like, yeah. Damn straight I do. Turn it up louder. <laughs> I can't, I'm like, yeah, I feel so good. Roar. I didn't want to, I I think sometimes, this this is why I want to talk about relational equity. I I think sometimes for us as believers, as followers of Christ, again, we make a mistake about making it about all lion and no lamb. We think that the representation of the kingdom of heaven is to have a loud prayer meeting. And the more praying in tongues, the better for us Pentecostals. And the more impassioned the the cries, the better the amen on it from heaven. And yes, I I love that. I love being in an engaged and enthusiastic, charismatic meeting. We sang a song earlier this morning about the lamb. Every, every, every time we've mentioned, I, I hear a mention of the lamb over probably the last 18 months. It makes me melt on the inside because I go, man, there's something there 
about sacrifice, about service, about giving ourselves to others, about holding others up as better than ourselves. That is the greatest demonstration of what our king and his kingdom is really like. And we breeze past it sometimes. I don't know, I'm, 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 landing, I'm landing the plane. I'm saying that so that it happens. I was following a conversation on a local Facebook page for our community the other day. Someone got it on there and said, oh, guys, watch out. There's, uh, the beggars have come back to our part of town, and uh, they're all asking, don't, make sure you don't give them anything. Those scumbags. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I realize Often enough that some of the people asking for bus money are actually looking for money for drugs or alcohol or some other way of abusing themselves because they're trapped in a cycle of, 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 of all of that. And I'm like, man, you know what? If I've got loose change, if I've got a few dollars in my pocket, which is uncommon in our plastic, fantastic age, have it all. I don't want to support your habit. No, I, 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 I don't. But actually, I do want you to know Kindness. Actually, I do want you to know that someone notices you enough to at least stop and have a conversation with you on the street. I don't want to avert my gaze to all... Part of our calling as believers, part of our outworking of the kingdom of heaven is our ability to bring a little bit of heaven to every place we see hell on earth. Well, why do we see hell? Isn't hell under the earth? No, hell's all around us. Hell is impoverished countries. Hell is people who can't seem to get a, a real grip or, or, or a good foothold in life. They keep falling backwards because of the cycle of sin or addiction or whatever it is that they're under. And for us to be able to stop, as Jesus did, often having compassion on those that he saw and saying, you know what, I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't even know how you got here. But I at least wanted to stop and say hello and how are you? How are you? I've got, Judah, have you got any money? Because I've got none. My 13-year-old son, you give him, you give him some. <laughs> Sorry, that's a diversion. Let me kind of finish with this. Luke 17, verse 20 to 21. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because they were expecting, obviously, the overthrow of the Roman Empire and this earthly dominion to take place and with this, this heavenly alignment to take place in the earth, which, yes, and amen, I guess it is partly that as well. But he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, see, here it is, or see, there it is, for indeed... The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is within you. I guess the, the lingering question I would want us to ask ourselves or to remember this morning would simply be this. How aware are we of the kingdom we already carry? Because it's our understanding of his kingdom that broadens our concept of what ministry looks like. I'm going to ask the musos to come back this morning. Is that what you normally do? <sighs> There's so, so much more that we could say around the king and his kingdom.
In one of the parables that Jesus shares is that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. I think that's a great picture. The idea that the smallest pinch, the smallest inception of the kingdom of heaven can bring lasting and change to any environment, to any culture that it's introduced into, and it's an irreversible change. The, 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 the dynamic of yeast being mixed into flour and, and proofing, it's a chemical change that can't be reversed. You can't reverse engineer that back into its separate products again. It's, it's, it's lasting change. That's what it is like to, for us to be in whatever environment we find ourselves in, our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our, 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 our gatherings together with friends and family. Even the smallest inception, even the smallest pinch of the kingdom of heaven will, will have an effect. I love what, this is the last scripture I'll use this morning. I love what Ephesians 3.10 says. Paul writes that his intent, speaking of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that, that his intent was that now, through the church, through you and I, that the manifold wisdom of God, the manifold, the multifaceted, the multicolored, the multidimensional wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, his our Lord. The idea is that this beautiful and diverse and powerful body or family of believers, which again is you and I, is being the yeast and the influence of the kingdom of God in every area of society and every sphere of influence that we find ourselves in. So that the mission of the church, it was never or has never been to simply gather people together and keep them safe until we die. Right? Like, phew, made it. Managed to be good enough for long enough. The mission of the church is to be the chief vehicle that Jesus has established to represent and reveal his kingdom. Fully loaded with a diverse range of people from all walks of life, from all nationalities. That's why it's called every tribe and every tongue. To be supernaturally empowered and carrying kingdom culture. Because it's our understanding of the kingdom of God that colors every aspect of our mission and purpose as a church. I want to pray for us this morning in closing. Oh, maybe we could stand to our feet as we do this. I'll do, I'll do two things this morning. I'll pray for us corporately. And then maybe if anyone who would like prayer or wants to come forward, I, I'd love for you. If we've got a ministry team, I'd love for us to pray for you as well. But Heavenly Father, this morning, and will you, you assume any posture that you do to, I don't know, just be receptive in this moment. We ask that you would continuously open our eyes to see things with a kingdom mindset and a kingdom perspective. To see where the principles and the culture and the practices of the kingdom of heaven, humility, grace, love, kindness, the, 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 the word of God is filled with encouragements for us to do all these kind of good things. Help us be aware of where the smallest inception and the smallest pinch of that would make a difference in someone else's world. We often allow ourselves to be caught up with these grand ideas of, of worldwide revival and yes and amen, because why not? Nothing is impossible for him. But worldwide revival begins 
by seeing revival take place in just one other person around us. So that the addition of that soul can become the multiplication of the many. And Heavenly Father, we're asked that you just, I don't know, come and adjust their mindset sometimes. Come and, come and, come and bring a, a better alignment of the way that we think with the way that we feel. Come and allow our hearts to be aligned with, with the words that come out of our mouths because we understand that when our heart and our mouth are in alignment, whether that's for positive or for, for negative, it's a powerful force to be reckoned with. So we say thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come. And we, we, you, we have an anointing from the Holy One. And you teach us all things. So we would simply say in a moment like this, Heavenly Father, our hearts are open. We allow our walls to come down. We, we invite some vulnerability into, 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 into the room. Say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us again? Would you help bring correction, if you like, as we, as we, as we I don't know, assume some posture of repentance about things that we've thought about you that have been wrong. And maybe for anyone else in the room, I, I never want to talk about the kingdom of God and with word only. Paul says the kingdom of God is not in word alone, but it's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's not our power, it's not my power. It's the Spirit's power. And I just want to give an opportunity for anyone in the room who may be unwell to come and receive prayer for healing this morning maybe even for any other reason. Might as well fling the doors wide open. But if you would like prayer this morning, and, and not to use flippant language, but to accentuate the invitation, whether it's a cough or a cancer, He is able. I don't know why some people don't receive healing and others do, but I've made a determination to always at least give an invitation understanding that it's the Spirit's power that's at work. So if that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you as the team leads us.